If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. And as you guys are turning there, yeah, thank you, Pastor Jimmy, for that introduction. I've known Jimmy for decades, and I used to pastor, we used to pastor together at a church here called Christ Central Presbyterian. It used to be in Vienna, Virginia, now it's in Centerville. And uh, prior, to, uh, prior to us moving here, we, we were living in Hawaii, and that's why I've got an Aloha shirt on. And uh, I'm gonna continue to wear Aloha shirts for as long as I can, as long as it's socially acceptable, because it was a wonderful assignment for us, and we really enjoyed our time in Hawaii. I know a lot of people have been asking about everything that's going on in Maui, and it really is a shame, but, but Hawaii is one of those places where you know, almost every day we lived there, we, we could not believe that we were living in, in this uh, beautiful, beautiful place. So then, we had to move because the military was like, congratulations, you've spent enough, enough time in Hawaii and now we're moving you to the Northern Virginia area and this is home for us. So we knew wherever we would go from Hawaii, it would be a downgrade. It's probably the best possible downgrade we could have gotten. So if you could stand with me, I, it's my practice to, have, uh, to, to stand when we read God's word, if you are able. I'm gonna be sharing with you something that I've been processing. This is our sixth move. My oldest son, Eli, who's 14 going into ninth grade, this is his, I was counting, I thought it was his seventh, this is his ninth school he's going to in ninth grade. It's just kind of part and parcel with the military, sometimes it's like that. Uh, and there's been a challenge for joy and a challenge for not looking back to the days when I used to wear this every day. Well, I never wore this every day, but where I could, and it would be socially acceptable. And so what I want to share with you, this opportunity, is to really share with you something that I've been processing. I didn't realize this until this move, but God continues to bring you back to Philippians during these times of transitions. And I think it's because, well, let's read it together. We're, we're in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read through to ver verse 14, and I'll be Reading. Let's give our full attention over to the reading of God's word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As you take your seats. I'm glad you didn't give me a wireless mic because I would be all over and people get kind of dizzy watching me when I preach. But I'm going to try to move as much as I can here. Uh, Philippians is one of those letters of Paul that I go back to, like I said, over and over again. I think the reason why is it's, it's, it's one of those letters that Paul is writing from house arrest when he's in, Roman, in Rome uh, to the church in Philippi, not knowing if he's going to uh, live another day. It's one of those letters where if you've ever seen a movie or books like Tuesdays with Maury or the, uh, you know, the, what is it called, the last lecture of that one professor who was terminally ill, it's, it's one of those places where you lean in a little, little closer because you realize what the person has to say will be profound because they're staring death in the face. And it's, it's those moments where people say, okay, well, everything becomes a laser beam, everything becomes focused, and this is where we've got to pay attention because the person, this may be the last thing they say. And the last thing you want to say is something like uh, lasagna, or you know, that's, that's, that's not what you want to be known for. You want to be known to say something profound that has a lasting impact that causes people to, to reflect and meditate and, and ponder, you know, rosebud or whatever it is that you say, you want people to listen up and, and take note. And so Paul here is writing to the Philippians, and he writes this amazing letter. And if you've read Philippians, which uh, you would know that Philippians has two themes that run throughout the whole letter, the theme of the gospel, and right in conjunction with that, the theme of joy. It's a book about joy. This man who's about to die, at any moment, they could come and say, okay, today's the day where you die, Paul. This man who's staring death in the face is charging the Philippians to have joy, to rejoice, to have more joy. I'll say it again. That's why we start out in chapter 3 where he says, it's no trouble for me to, to say it again, to write it again. It's interesting, though, because he, he's at a time where actually everything that you wrote cost something a lot more valuable than, you know, you, you couldn't erase and go back. You couldn't say things over and over again and ramble. Everything had to be precise because of the way that things were communicated. But he says it over and over again. Rejoice. Are you guys rejoicing? Would your neighbors say that you guys live a life of joy? Is that how, it's, how life is marked? Like, you know, neighbors like, yeah, that, you know, the Johnsons live there and the, the Kims live there and, you know, and that, that person. I don't know who they are, but they sure are happy. They're full of joy. If you were to pull your children, would they say, my parents, they're full of joy. I'm going to tell you something. The Hams were not very full of joy moving from Hawaii. I, I shared with you a little bit what was going on. We were really struggling with this move. All, all of my supervisors were trying to convince me that this was great for me, and I was trying to say to them, you are absolutely wrong. What's good for me is Waikiki Beach and all the spam musubi and, and everything else, you know, having a lay around my neck and, and listening to the ukulele, that's what's good for me, sir. That's what's good for me, ma'am. And they were trying to convince me that moving here was good for me. And I realized that there was something that was robbing me of joy. And I, and I see this in many Christians 
the things that rob us of joy. So the question I wanted to ask today is how do we rejoice in the Lord? And I'll add this word, always. It's three simple points. The first thing is forgetting what lies behind. The momentum and the trajectory of the Christian life is forward. Paul calls us to forget what lies behind, good or bad. In fact, he starts this whole passage talking about his past and his accolades and everything that he was and every, you know, everything that he could take pride in, all the gains that he had is the word he uses. All of my gain I count as rubbish. But he's not just talking about the, the good in your life, all the gains that you made, but he's talking about it all, all the loss. And that's the struggle that I think a lot of us have. Some of us struggle with letting go of all the gains. Some of you here may have peaked when you were seniors in high school, you know, you were the captain of the football team or the, the captain of the cheerleading squad or something, and then you're looking back and you're like, oh. I mean, even the idioms that we use in, 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 in our everyday you know, conversations, we call it the, the what old days? The good old days, right? Because the past, man, it used to be that way. And, and Facebook, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. Facebook every day reminds me, oh, five years ago on this day, look what happens. And my wife will look at my phone and be like, look, honey, five years ago, look how skinny you were. <laughs> look, 10 years ago, our son Eli was so cute, and now he doesn't listen to me anymore. And it's, it's, it's this constant looking back to the good old days. And Paul says, forget it all. Now, he's not talking about, you know, looking back to the past and, and learning lessons to help you in the future, looking back to the past to gain perspective on the present. He's not saying don't do that. But he's saying if you're struggling with looking back at the past and being anchored to it, there's something great that happened that you're comparing everything that you're going through now to, and it's making you get stuck in that moment. Or there was something horrible that happened. And because of that horrible thing that happened in your past, you can't get past that past. Paul says the Christian has to forget what lies behind. There's a theologian by the name of Meredith Klein, and he says that when it comes to the Bible, it's not a return to paradise. He says, when you, when you look at the Bible, there's a reason why God put an angel. When he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, there was no, there was no it wasn't a challenge for Adam and Eve. Hey, try to get back here to paradise. Try to get back to the garden. You got to get back. You got to get past, you know, one of my, one of my great seraphim. That, that's not what God's intention was. God's intention wasn't for Christians to return to the garden or return to paradise. He says that the, the momentum and the, and the trajectory of the Christian life is from garden to city, from past to future. We're not returning to anything at all. We're looking ahead and forgetting what lies behind. Beloved, if you were, once again, to be asked by your friends, your family members, your, your, your closest confidants, would they say that you are a forward-looking person or are you stuck in your past? God calls us to be people who move forward, look forward, forget the past. He's not talking about an amnesia, but what he is talking about is, is a, a forward-moving momentum in your life. When we, when we came here, I 
convinced my wife that it'd be a great idea to drive cross country. Why, why fly to Virginia if you, if, you, if you can drive? And so we flew into San Francisco. Yeah, just if you want more challenges in your life, spend hours and hours and hours with three very rambunctious boys and, and your spouse in the car. And uh, so we were not even a day into our drive. And we, were, we found ourselves in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And uh, I had not driven past 55 miles an hour in over three years in Hawaii, not, barely. Most of the time, I was in the 30s. And, and so for the first time, I found myself trying to drive fast, swerving through the mountains, and it was getting dark. And I would continue. It, it was, it was uh, I'm going to show you what I look like. This was the steering wheel, and this was my face for about four or five hours. At, so, at certain points, my wife would look at me, and she'd, she'd say, Honey, you look like a senile old man. And I'd, and I'd think to myself, I have become a senile old man. And it became worse every time I looked in the rearview mirror. Something bright would flash, and I'd look in the mirror, and instinctively, I would slow down. The more I looked at the, the more I looked behind me. The more I looked at, oh, you know, is there another car coming? Another, another car that's, that's going to whiz by me. Another, another, another car that's going to cause me to, to go to the right lane. It would, it, I'd break. I'd look. I'd, I'd do one of these. I get even closer. At one point, it, it, it looked like my forehead was going to hit the, the windshield. And I realized something. The more I looked back the more it prevented me from looking forward. I wanted to make a compilation of YouTube video, videos of, of sprinters and marathon runners who like lost the race in the last minute or second because what they do? I wonder, oh, they're right there. Oh, now they're up ahead, I lost. <laughs> There's so many of those videos of people who look behind and lose. And I was like, this is like perfect. You know, the, the way it's, it, it's, and that's, one of the reasons why God calls us to not look behind. The Israelites in the wilderness. God is like, I'm taking you to the promised land from slave to heirs of a new kingdom, of a new land flowing with milk and honey. And what do they say? Oh, that we could go sit by those meat pots. I miss being a slave. We had leeks back then. And God says, look forward. Forget what lies behind. Beloved, are you actively forgetting what lies behind? Which leads me to my second point. You don't just forget what leaves, lies behind, but you do it so that you could strain forward. That word press on. Paul uses it earlier in, in, his, in this passage when he says uh, that he persecuted that church. That, that Greek word of pressing on it or, 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 or persecuting literally means to put all your effort behind something. That means you put none of your effort in looking behind and reflecting. And, you know, and, and I'm not saying, once again, that you don't reflect and learn from your past. But God says to put all of your effort in moving forward. You strain forward like an athlete, like a, like a runner, like, a, like someone who's sprinting to go ahead, not behind. Thomas Joyner, who is the premier scholar and researcher behind suicide, and in his book, Why Do People Die by Suicide, noted this. He said that people who have suicidal ideations and struggle with suicide and even clinical depression, they all do that because they find themselves stuck in a moment. 
Bono from U2 after his good friend from In Excess committed suicide wrote a song called Stuck in a Moment. You found yourself stuck in a moment and you couldn't get out of it. The Christian is to not find themselves stuck in a moment, but to lift up their eyes. It says for the upward call is what Paul calls it. And the only way that you can have an upward call, have you ever tried to look upward? You need to be looking forward and upward, moving onward, and to get yourself unstuck from whatever moment you're struggling with. Beloved, if you find yourself stuck in that moment because of something that's happened, God calls us to strain forward. The reason why you may be struggling with joy in your life is because you're not putting all of your effort into straining forward. You're stuck back. John Piper says this in his book, Future Grace, the only life I have to, left to live is future life. The past is not in my hands to offer or alter. It is gone. Not even God will change the past. All the expectations of God are future expectations. All the possibilities of faith and love are future possibilities. And all the power that touches me with help to live in love is future power. As precious as the bygone blessings of God may be, if he leaves me only with the memory of those and not with the promise of more, I will be undone. My hope for future goodness and future glory is future grace. Now, I know as a Christian, it's kind of tough to talk about the future because really the greatest hope for us is because of something that happened in the past when our Lord and Savior died on the cross. But Christ died not for a moment in the past. He died for a future glory. Are you fixing your eyes on that future glory and straining ahead to that? The seventh Star Trek movie in the series, I know I've probably lost like 75% of you as soon as I said Star Trek, but the seventh Star Trek movie is probably my favorite. It's, it's, it's a movie called Generations, and in that one movie, they have both the old captain of the USS Enterprise and the new. They have William T. Kirk and Jean-Luc Picard. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. Just follow me, just, just go with me here. And they're fighting this nemesis, this Dr. Soren, who was caught up in this thing called the Nexus. And this Nexus was this strange place that would destroy universes and in its destruction, it would capture people into the Nexus and put them in an artificial paradise. And so somehow mistakenly, they, they save these people out of the Nexus and Dr. Soren is like, what have you done? Bring us back, bring us back. And the whole movie is about Dr. Soren trying to return back to the nexus, to this paradise. He's willing to, to destroy whole universes and solar systems and, and star systems just so that he can get back to the paradise because he could not get unstuck from that moment. And I think so much that the Christian struggles with that and it robs us of our joy. Beloved, I really think that nostalgia is incredibly unchristian. For those of us who look back and have those warmth, once again, forgive me for saying this if you, you disagree, but I think when we look back with too much fondness and that warm, fuzzy, oh, it was so nice back then, I think it prevents us from straining forward. I have an eight-year-old, my youngest son, Edmund, and I caught him saying just the other day, this is my eight-year-old, Dad, remember the good old days? And I was like, Edmund, 
what good old days are you talking about when you were eight months old and you couldn't even walk? What good old days? And I realize we live in a society and in a world that will get us stuck in a moment, have us trapped in our past. You've got two hands and they could grab onto something. You could grab onto a rope that's connected to an anchor that prevents you from moving forward. And that's what the world will do. We have a real enemy that wants you to be grounded here. Because for him, in the future, there is no hope. But for the Christian, God says you must strain forward all of your effort behind that motion. What are you doing, beloved, to move forward in your life, to look forward, to, have that, to, look forward to that upward call? And, I, and I'll quickly talk about that third point. The reason why the Christian can do this is because of the truth that Christ Jesus has made us his own. No matter what trauma you've experienced in the past, we have a Savior that says all of that, all of the difficulty that you've gone through, all of the suffering and the hardship, it's to produce a future beauty. All of the accolades and all of the good that you've done, you know, if you were once a Hebrew of Hebrews, if you were once this and that, let me tell you something, it pales in comparison to what I have in store for you ahead. That's why Paul says, forgetting the past. That's why Paul says, I could consider it all rubbish. That's why Paul can say, all of that, you know, does not compare to the surpassing greatness that God has in store for you and for me. The reason why God says to strain ahead is because truly the best is yet to come. This is not as good as it gets. As good as things may be in the past, as good as things may be now, or as bad as things may be in the past, and as bad as things are now, our hope is that things will be the way God wants us to be. There will be a time where there is an end to sin. There will be a time where you will see our Savior face to face. St. Augustine talks about it this way. He says that there was a time when we lived where we were able to sin and able not to sin. And then Adam and Eve cast us into a situation where we were not able to not sin. But we will come to a place in glory where you will live in a reality where you are not able to sin. That you will be perfect because of the perfection that Christ our Savior has put on us. And that's the future hope. If you're struggling with your sin now, the hope in the future is one day, even if you want, you, you won't even want to sin. You will be in such a state of righteousness. Everything will be right. And so you strain ahead to that. Everything will be good. All the, the, the hardship, God will atone for every tear, every drop of blood, because of the one who made us his own, because of the one who absorbed it all, because of the one who catapults us to the future, because of Jesus Christ who made us his own, Jesus Christ, who prepares for us a future glory, we strain ahead because of the one who made us his own. I'm going to say one more thing. And, and uh, when I hear about the Israelites grumbling for 40 years in the wilderness, my gosh, could you imagine 40? If I were God, I'd be like, I'm done. Probably after like day four. I'd be like, I think I made a mistake. Yeah, you, you know what? You guys can go back to the meat pots. I'm going to find a plan B. Uh, 
I should say a lot of us struggle with life because we think there's a plan B, right? If you guys have ever watched any of these new Marvel movies, like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, once again, I've lost like half of you. But for those of you who've watched any of these movies or these shows now that talk about alternate realities, right, a lot of us struggle with our past. We're like, you know, if I just went through the, the other door, if I married someone else, if I had less kids or more kids, took that job instead of this one, you know, went to Hawaii, didn't go to Hawaii, whatever it was, then I, it would have been version 687 of myself. And I think version 687 is so much happier than I am in that alternate universe. There's no alternate universe, people. You know that. Um, so here are the Israelites grumbling and grumbling because they can't strain forward. I'm going to tell you, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. One of the, my wife, Jean, is, a, is an angel. And uh, she, she's had to endure me for, for almost two decades. While we were driving, there were times where I couldn't see very well or you know, driving new places. And she would pepper me with questions. Honey, weren't we supposed to get off at, at exit 167? No, 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 no. According to this, now we've got GPS, so it's telling us things. It's like, no, 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 but I think, are you sure? It says that you missed a turn. It's, it's, it's like re, redirecting. I think you just added 15 minutes. I'm like, no, 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 I don't think I added 15 minutes. It's fine. Honey, we, we've, we've got, are you, are you tracking that we've got lunch for the kids? If we don't get lunch for the kids, it's going to go from bad to worse, honey. So we need to feed these kids in like less than half an hour. I got it. You got enough fuel? I've got enough fuel. And she would pepper me with these questions, and it would, I would, I have to confess, in my sin at times, I'd be like, honey, just let me drive. Just take a nap. Just take a nap. And she'd be like, are, are, we, are, are, we, are we supposed to be in Wyoming? And I'm like, yes, I think so. I, I think I got lost only about four or five times. And uh, we would have we completely probably ended up in Canada if, uh, if my wife didn't let me know. But every time, every time, it would just drive me crazy because it reflected something. It reflected my wife didn't trust me, and rightly so, at least four or five times, probably more than that. It, rightly so, I was not the most reliable person. Sometimes I was tired. Sometimes I just didn't, wasn't paying attention. Sometimes I was listening to whatever I was listening to and not paying attention to the road. Whatever it was, I'll tell you the most beautiful moments of the, of the drive. My kids are all asleep. Yes, no more screaming or fighting or whatever. And my wife would be asleep, like peacefully. And she'd wake up and be like, honey, you doing okay? Like, yeah. We're doing, are we on course? Yeah. Okay, good, good. Thank you, honey. She'd go back to sleep and I'd be like, this is wonderful. Because it betrayed a truth. It betrayed a truth that during those moments, my wife trusted me. Whether she should have trusted me or not is another question. But it made me feel like those moments, she trusted me. And it made me reflect on the fact that when I look back and I grumble and I say to God, God, how much further? Did we just miss that turn we were supposed to? God, when I, when I look that way, it looks like we haven't, we haven't gone very far. 
And, and God, I mean, uh, are, you, are you going the speed limit? Maybe you should speed up a little bit. There are the cars passing by. Maybe I should have gotten in that car, God. God, uh, can we get off? I, you know, are, are, you, are you tracking the fact that I'm hungry? Are you tracking the fact that I've got to take a, you know, a, a break? Are you tracking the fact that this is, you know, can you turn the AC up a little higher, a little lower? Can you do this, God? Can you do that? And, could, and, and I realized there's something that happens when we're straining forward and we say to God, God, I trust you because what you have up in store is causing me to not look behind, but to anticipate with an incredible excitement, this surpassing greatness that you have in store for me. Because beloved, that is the truth. We can forget whatever lies behind because God has planned for you and for me an exceeding surpassing greatness. And the way that we live in joy, the way that we live in trust, the way that we live in forgetting what lies behind and straying forward is what our neighbors are looking at, our friends, our family, and everyone else. And it reflects the greatness and the goodness of our God. I pray that in your joy, you would remember that we have a Savior who took hold of us and he's made the future bright and full of hope. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I ask you this question again, beloved. Are your lives marked by joy? Is there a peace that transcends all understanding? Because you know the one who has taken hold of you and who is taking you to a future glory. Now, beloved, I'm going to say something because it's true. If you've been struggling with that, beloved, we have a God who wants to come and take that struggle away and remove that burden. If you're struggling with the fact that you're struggling with that and you're condemning yourself and, and, and pouring some type of standard that you, you failed in being as joyful as you can, as peaceful as you can, as future-oriented as you can. Beloved, do, do not do that because we have a Savior who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And because you have someone who did that perfectly for you in our imperfection, he now has made us his own and is carrying us forward. We move on the momentum of our Savior. And so now move with him in joy and be set free from whatever tries to encumber you. Beloved, I, you and I, we have a Savior calls us to an upward call. God, I thank you so much for Christ Church. Reflecting back on 40 years, I pray that this and next week's celebration would not just be a, a time of reflecting on the past, but more importantly, a looking ahead and a straining forward. As, as faithful as you've been and, and with whatever has happened in the past 40 years, I pray that Christ Church would move ahead and confidence and an excitement. And that my brothers and sisters in this room, that they would in their own individual lives 
no matter what has happened in the past, good or bad. May it not encumber them. May it not anchor them. May it not get them stuck in a moment. But Lord, push them forward. Move them forward. Give them the strength to strain forward to what lies ahead, to glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you make this possible. Now set before us the same joy so that we can take up our crosses daily and joyfully follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.